Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the spot to be at this summer in Navy Yard. Make sure to check out Walters Self-Port Wall, Walters Unlimited Televisions, and Walters Outdoor Patio. Located just across the street from Nationals Park, open daily at 11 a.m. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Corbin out of the stretch. Smith holding the runner at first. The pitch swung on and hit in the air to right center field. It's carrying Cole back to the warning track. At the wall, leaping, and it is gone for a home run. And it's the Dodgers three and the Nationals nothing. Left-handed hitter against the right-hander Syndergaard. Here's the wide of the pitch, swung on, hit in the air to right center field, and deep again, Backles bets to the warning track at the wall. He leaps, and it is gone. A home run for C.J. Abrams. Back-to-back they go as that one comes back down out of the field. Betts tumbling down on the track, losing his cap. Now here's the set, and Syndergaard's pitch swung on, hit in the air to deep right center field. Backles Thompson way back to the warning track. It's going, going, and it is gone. Goodbye. Zoom goes Jamer Candelario with his seventh home run of the year. It's the Nationals five and the Dodgers four. Freeman will hold Vargas. We'll see if he runs again here. It's 0-2. He doesn't. The pitch swung on. Hit in the air to deep right field. Down the line. It's going. It's going. And it's gone. Goodbye. It's a three-run home run for Luis Garcia. Bickford to the belt. The pitch to Ruiz. Swung on. Drew to the air to deep center field. Hayward going back. Looking up. Going. Going. Gone. Goodbye. It's a multi-home run game for K-Bert Ruiz as he drives it over the right center field wall. Bang! Zoom goes Ruiz for the second time today. It's now the Nationals 10 and the Dodgers 6. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, June 1st, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Here is all that you need to know about this Nats game on Wednesday. The Nats in this game hit 11.4% of all of the team's home runs this season. The Nats this season have hit 44 home runs. The Nats in what was a 10-6 win at the best team in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers, smashed 
five home runs. Yes, the no home run hitting Nats blasted five homers on Wednesday. What a performance. The Nats now are 24 and 32. Coming up later in the show, a conversation that our own Tim Shovers had with the voice of the Nats AA affiliate, the Harrisburg Senators on Wednesday, uh, talking about a Harrisburg team that now features two of the Nats top prospects and outfielders James Wood and Robert Hassel III. But the Nats at the major league level on Wednesday in this 10-6 win at the Dodgers. 10 runs, 12 hits, 3 walks, 4 for 14 with runners in scoring position. 8 of the 12 hits were extra base hits, including Mark. Something that is still hard to believe. 5 homers by the Nats. The power was on display on Wednesday. It most certainly was, Al. And That's why I'm looking at the opposite side of this before we get to the home runs. They won this game in spite of the fact that they gave up six stolen bases. They ran themselves into some really ugly outs. The bullpen was kind of a mess. Kyle Finnegan issued an automatic walk on a clock violation, then gave up an uncontested stolen base and ultimately allowed the tying run to score. Patrick Corbin was down 3 nothing after three batters. They still won this game. You know why they won this game? Because you hit five home runs, isn't it an amazing thing how power can make up for all those other mistakes? So many times this year, we've said, boy, if they could only hit a few home runs, it would take all the pressure off everything else. Well, that's what they did in this game. To be clear, they did not play a very good game in the bigger picture, but it didn't matter. They hit the ball really hard in the air and it finally carried for them. And because of the five home runs, It masked all those other issues, and they were able to walk out of here with a really impressive win. Home runs are the ultimate deodorant, the ultimate cologne, the ultimate masker-upper of deficiencies. Homers change everything. They really do. And it's the one thing about this Nats team that if it was different, you could potentially flip-flop the record. The Nats are 24 and 32. If this was a home run hitting team, you might be looking at 32 and 24. Like It's that drastic when you do not hit home runs. And you know, how many times this season have we seen the Nats have a final line of like three runs, 13 hits? You know, this game, 10 runs, 12 hits. The efficiency of that is beautiful. And you see what can happen when you hit homers. And, you know, it's so funny, too, because one of the biggest differences between the Dodgers and the Nats, among many differences, is the home run. The Dodgers hit homers like crazy. The Nats do not. That was actually on display in game two of this series. But in this game, the Nats beat the Dodgers at their own game. And look at the guys who did it. We keep talking about it's not just what happens, but who does it. For Luis Garcia to hit a huge clutch three-run homer on a pitch that was well inside off the inner part of the strike zone, to turn on that and hit a three-run homer, you saw the celebration, how excited he and the dugout were. For Cabert Ruiz to hit two of them, and now three in the span of 24 hours, against his former team. And that last one in the ninth, they didn't ultimately need it, but it felt like they were going to need that one before it was all said and done. That was a big emotional point. And oh, by the way, C.J. Abrams also hit a home run in this game, his sixth of the year. So those three, more than anyone else, for them to deliver, to come through with power in this ballpark against this opponent on a day when they needed to win to avoid a sweep, I don't think you can undersell the importance of that. So the five homers come from four players in this game, and I think you have to start with K-Bet Ruiz. And baseball is so funny for so many different reasons. If you've been following what has been happening with K-Bet Ruiz, so his results as a batter have been quite bad lately, up until these last two games. But his process actually has been pretty good. He's been hitting balls hard 
if you look at the StatCast stuff, I mean, I don't want to bombard people with all the numbers, but he basically deserves to have much better numbers this season as a batter than the results would suggest. He's hit balls hard. He just has not hit balls to where the balls end up resulting in hits. But what happens so often with people like this is when it starts to change, it changes in like avalanche-like fashion. And you go from like hitting into a bunch of bad luck and not getting any hits to all of a sudden the hits just start piling up. And maybe we're seeing that here with Kbert Ruiz. He gets that solo home run in the 9-3 loss late night on Tuesday night. And then Ruiz in this game on Wednesday gets on base four times, three for four, two run homer, solo homer, single, and a hit by pitch. He and the Nats two run second, had a two out solo homer to right center to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1. And then Ruiz in that two run ninth, two out, two run homer to center field for a 10-6 Nats lead, 401 feet per stat cast. And you're right, in the moment, that felt big, and that allowed you to breathe if you're a Nats fan. Uh, they didn't need it, but yeah, in the moment, it certainly felt like the Nats very much needed it. And, you know, with K.B. Ruiz, we know the deal. He's not here to just be a nice little defensive catcher. Like, he's here to be an offensive guy, too. That's why the Nats made that big trade with the Dodgers two summers ago. You know, if you read up on what went into that Max Scherzer, Trey Turner trade for Josiah Gray, K-Bert Ruiz, and two other prospects, Rizzo was like lusting after K-Bert Ruiz. Ruiz was the guy who Rizzo really wanted, more so than even Josiah Gray, at least if you go off the reporting. And boy, it's good to see him get rewarded for his process, which has been good. Yeah, 100%. His BABIP, batting average on balls in play, coming into this game, it was 221. Now, for those who don't know how this stuff works, that is insanely low. The major league average is 292. So for him to be that far, 70 points below the major league average doesn't make a lot of sense. And it basically is a sign of some bad luck. Yeah, he hits a lot of ground balls. He doesn't run well, so he's not going to beat out infield hits or anything like that. But for as often as he has hit the ball well, and even just on this road trip, it felt like he was hitting a ton of balls to the warning track that just died. And then finally, on Tuesday night, late in that game, in the seventh inning, he gets a hold of one down the left field line. He hit that one right-handed, got it to clear the fence. And then in this one, twice delivered, both from the left side of the plate. And as a hitter, when you feel like the process is good, but the results are not, there's going to be a tendency to try to change something up. You think, oh, I'm not doing this right. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And he said, it's really hard, but you have to stick with what you know and what you believe is the right approach and trust that that will eventually turn for you. Good for him for sticking with it and coming through here in the last two days in a really impressive way. Because again, these are meaningful home runs, especially that one in the ninth. So he hits two, and yet you very much could argue the biggest home run of this game from an ad's perspective was that Luis Garcia home run. I mean, that was a big time shot in so many regards. Garcia on Wednesday, two for five, three run homer and a double. Did commit a fielding error in the Dodgers' one-run third, but Luis Garcia in a three-run Nats eighth, a tie-breaking two-out, three-run home run to right field on an 0-2 pitch to put the Nats up 8-5. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. You know, in the latter innings of a big game at the top team in the National League, you're down 0-2, you have two outs, and you smash a three-run bomb like that. He also had a first-pitch leadoff double off the right field warning track in the top of the seventh. It had been a little funny with Garcia because he really had not done much since his big game last Friday night. The 12-10 win at the Kansas City Royals. Garcia in that game, the six for six with the two-run double, another double for singles. He'd had a few hits here and there, but really not a lot had happened for him since that game. Well, a whole lot happened for him in this game on Wednesday. 
He only had one hit in the interim, one for 21 since the six for six to start the road trip until that double in the seventh. So he finally turned it back on and turned it in a good way. And for anyone who wasn't watching it as closely, go back and rewatch the swing on the home run and look where the pitch is. It is three, four, five, maybe even six inches inside off the plate. And he got his hands in on it and turned on it and crushed it down the right field line. And you could see his reaction the dugout's reaction, that was a big time moment that they were really celebrating and understood the significance of it. He is, as we've seen and we saw on that game in Kansas City, so good at just sticking the bat out and poking a base hit to left field. What was it? Five of the six hits were the opposite field in that game, right? Well, he also has this ability to get his hands in and turn on that kind of pitch you would love to see it with a little more consistency. I mean, that's such a bizarre road trip, the way it started great, ended great, and was so flat in the middle of it. You'd love a little more consistency day to day, but there's no doubting this guy's skills as a hitter, and he's still young. <laughs> he's still learning. I think there's still reason to believe that he's going to continue to get better at this, understand pitch selection, understand when to try to hit a ball hard, when to just try to make contact, when to lay off something. It's hard not to be impressed with what we've seen here in glimpses, and hopefully you'll start to see with a little more consistency. Yeah, I mean, the consistency is an issue, I think, for basically all of these guys. Like, they tease you with these performances and these stretches, but none of them ever for a prolonged enough period of time makes you have full and complete confidence that, okay, that guy is a guy on whom we can rely moving forward. I mean, this goes for Garcia, this goes for Kbert Ruiz, this goes for C.J. Abrams. You could even apply this to some of the veterans on this team. Like, no one's been consistent. That's been an issue. I mean, probably the most consistent guy has been Lane Thomas, and yet even he can be viewed as being up and down. So it's almost like, you know, when you have a student who doesn't get good grades, and then he aces a test, and you're like, how come you can't do that more often? And like, this is what I feel like with the Nats off this game on Wednesday. Like, you see, you have this in you. You can do this. You can hit homers. You can be imposing offensively. Like, why can't we see this more often? I mean, it's ridiculous. You hit 11 plus percent of your homers for the season in one game like this. That, that is jaw-dropping that that happened. And yet it did. So maybe some more homers are coming. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, Nat Chat listeners, Tim Shovers here, producer of the podcast, to tell you about Game Time. Do you struggle sometimes to find tickets to your favorite events? Buying tickets to these shouldn't be stressful. 
That's why you should look into the Game Time app. It's even harder these days with the lack of paper tickets available on the street. If you're looking for tickets to Nats, DC United, or even the Drake concert this summer, Game Time offers the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection. Game Time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account at GameTime.co and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Now here's the set, and Syndergaard's pitch. Swung on, hit in the air to deep right center field. Back goes Thompson, way back to the warning track. It's going, going, and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang, zoom, goes Jamer Candelario with his seventh home run of the year. A two-run shot puts the Nationals in front for the first time today. And the Boo Birds are out at Dodger Stadium as Candelario gets the high five from third base coach Gary DeSarcina and crosses the plate with Manessis waiting for him. It's the Nationals five and the Dodgers four on a two-run homer for Jamer Candelario. So, all right, we continue down the home run roll call here. Jamer Candelario on Wednesday, very good game for him. He got on base four times, two for three, with a two-run homer, an RBI single, two walks, and a stolen base. We had a Jamer Candelario stolen base in this game. We had a Jamer Candelario intentional walk in this game. Candelario in the Nats two-run fifth, a two-out, two-run homer to center field for a 5-4 Nats lead. 405 feet per stat cast. He also, in the Nats, one run third, had a two-out full count RBI single to right to tie the game at three. Jamer Candelario uh, has surpassed Lane Thomas for number one on the Nats in OPS for this season, 797 versus 796. But, you know, we have seen Candelario make major strides this month and be so much better than he had been. And uh, nice to see him end his month with a game like this. He is, dare I say, Al, playing himself into trade chip category. How do you like that? I took it from you. So the guy who keeps track of this for us, you can put that one under my name for a change. He's been really good. Now, I don't know what kind of market there is for a guy who just plays third base and is you know a decent hitter, but maybe not a game changer. But he's done a very nice job for them. That was only the sixth time he's been intentionally walked in his career. That tells you something about the respect the Dodgers had for the way he was swinging the bat in this game. You know, that was a big homer himself at the time, you know, that what gave them the lead, right? And then things kind of turned after that and they had to come back and rally again. But he has been, I'm not going to say most consistent because he hasn't really been, but I feel like more often than not, he has been able to come through for them in some big spots. He's obviously played a really good third base for them. And, you know, there's a ways to go. We're only 56 games into this. But I think generally speaking, if I told you this is what Jamer Candelario would be hitting 265, 797 OPS and really solid third base, I think we'd all take that. I don't think the hopes were so high that you expected anything more than that. I I think it's been a nice addition in the end for them. Yeah, I think the route to that has been a bit circuitous. It has not been as uh, you know steady eddy as you would like. But look, the numbers are what the numbers are, and uh, whether he's taken you know a linear path or kind of up and down and all around, he's gotten to this point, and he is doing a good job. And I'm very proud of you, by the way, for referencing Candelario as a potential <laughs> trade chip. He is rising. 
I had to take your thunder from you on that one. Yeah, I mean, Candelario and Hunter Harvey are two very interesting trade possibilities right now from a Nationals perspective. So we mentioned C.J. Abrams. He homered in this game one for five, but the one was a solo homer in that Nats two-run second. You know, you also had something like Joey Manessis in this game. This kind of gets lost because Manessis did not homer, but Manessis in this game three for five with a double and two singles. I think the only real bummer from an offensive standpoint for the Nats in this game, the uh, Lane Thomas streaks did come to an end. He went 0 for 5 with a strikeout, so his 26-game on base streak is over. His 15-game hitting streak is over. But otherwise, I mean, really one of the best offensive games for the Nats this season, considering how the Nats did what they did, considering the opposition. This was pretty good to see the Nats have a game like this. Yes, although there were still moments there that they did not execute when they needed to. Let's talk about just real quick, the second and third, nobody out. If not for the Garcia homer, that whole inning in the eighth would have been a mess. You have second and third, nobody out, and Vargas hits a ball to second base and Abrams ends up getting caught off second, no man's land, can't go anywhere because Ruiz is already ahead of him staying on third base, ran himself into that out. Lane Thomas then strikes out looking and Garcia's down to his last strike remember on the home run, 0-2 pitch. So if he does not come through there, that's a huge missed opportunity. The inning before in the seventh was another golden opportunity with runner in scoring position and you had Corey Dickerson strikeout looking. And then after the intentional walk of Candelario, Dominic Smith struck out looking. So, you know, they were a little fortunate that those did not matter in the end. There's an alternate universe here where without those late homers, we are maybe talking about a really lack of execution in some critical moments for them. How'd you like Davey Martinez using his bench in this game too? Stone Garrett off the bench had a double in that two-run ninth inning. Ildemaro Vargas off the bench. You know, this felt like a true National League game on Wednesday. It's a beautiful thing and something I wish we saw more of, right? I know you love it. I don't really care, but I, I know that's a big thing for you. So I wanted to make you feel good about things there. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, we all know what summer means. Uh, summer means baseball. Summer usually means more home runs in baseball, but uh, summer also means heat and humidity and your energy bills being rather high due to your air conditioning working extra innings. It is time to beat the heat with Window Nation's summer sale. Save thousands of dollars with an outstanding offer. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Window Nation will give you two free windows for every two windows that you buy. All you have to do is call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Increase the value of your home by up to $12,000. Hey, make your neighbors jealous. Who doesn't want to do that? Again, the Window Nation summer sale. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years plus Two free windows for every two windows that you buy. And this goes for any style of window from Window Nation. 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Breaking ball swung on. Rip to left and deep. Back goes Dickerson and it is gone. Goodbye. A home run to straightaway left field on a 2-1 pitch from Patrick Corbin. And it was the slider that was out over the plate. Betts with a leadoff home run is 12th of the year, RBI number 32. Well, it's a good thing that the Nats hit five home runs on Wednesday because they're pitching really for a third time in three games in this series was not so good. So Patrick Corbin was the Nats starting pitcher on Wednesday. Four runs, three earned in five innings. And it's a minor miracle that he lasted for the five innings. Not so much because his pitch count was sky high, but because he was putting a ton of guys on base and he got off to a wretched start in this game. So Corbin for the game gave up seven hits, two home runs, a double and four singles. He issued four walks. He recorded just two strikeouts. The pitch count wound up at 88, 50 strikes versus 38 balls. That aforementioned wretched start, bottom of the first, Corbin allowed three runs in beginning his outing by giving up three consecutive hits and allowing five of the first six Dodgers batters to reach base. This game had six runs in a third of an inning written all over it. Corbin gave up a leadoff homer by Mookie Betts to left field, a first pitch opposite field single by Freddie Freeman to left field, and a two-run homer by Will Smith to right center field. And just like that, the Nats were down 3-0. Corbin in the bottom of the third allowed an unearned run on a fielding error by Luis Garcia on a leadoff grounder by Freeman, a single and two walks, including a bases loaded four pitch walk of Max Muncy for a 4-3 Dodgers lead. Corbin had that stretch of six to seven starts being quality starts. He now over his last two starts has allowed 10 runs, nine earned in 11 and a third innings. And he's back to issuing walks. He's issued four walks in each of his last two starts. I guess you could say this outing on Wednesday could have wound up a lot worse. And so maybe in a weird way, you give Corbin a pat on the back for that. But this to me reeked of like 2021, 2022, Patrick Corbin. There looked for a while exactly like 2022 at Dodger Stadium, Patrick Corbin. Remember, he didn't even get out of the first inning the last time he pitched here. And three batters into this one, even four batters, you want to count the walk after that. It felt like we were headed down that exact same path again. So to his credit, He salvaged it. He turned what could have been a disastrous start into a respectable start in which he still gave them a chance. But this was not a good outing by any stretch of the imagination for him. The bases loaded walk on four pitches, by the way. You can't do that. He finished kind of strong. Okay, I'll give him that. But it felt like 
really overmatched against this lineup. They were hitting everything hard, especially early on. Look, he's still doing better than he was a year ago. And in the bigger picture, you say, okay, he's giving them a chance for the most part. But maybe he isn't quite all the way fixed that we thought he might have been a few weeks ago. And I think he's got to start to get this back on track. And as we've been talking about, their schedule, starting with this series and now moving ahead, is not real easy for the next few weeks. A lot of really good teams, a lot of teams with good lineups. That's going to be a challenge for him. And I'll be curious to see if he can you know, turn in another one of those six-inning, three-run kind of starts against a good team like the Braves or the Astros or somebody else that he might be facing soon. You know, against the Dodgers, he wasn't able to do that. And so that does concern me. And then we had what happened with the Nats bullpen in this game on Wednesday. And this was another shaky game, although Hunter Harvey was great. So to me, it's like you exclude him from the uh, shakiness label there. But you ultimately had three Nats relievers combining to allow two runs in four innings. The three relievers were the Nats' top three relievers. The well-rested Carl Edwards Jr., Kyle Finnegan, and Hunter Harvey. Now, Edwards tossed a scoreless bottom of the six, but if you watch this, you know, it wasn't exactly smooth. He gave up a leadoff double. He issued a two-out intentional walk, and then he followed that by issuing a two-out unintentional walk to load the bases, although Edwards did then get a big strikeout. He struck out J.D. Martinez swinging on four pitches. Then came Kyle Finnegan, and he was not good. He allowed two runs in one official inning of work, bottom of the seventh, allowed a run on a one-out full-count walk of Chris Taylor, with ball four being a pitch clock violation by Finnegan. That was terrible. And then Finnegan gave up a two-out RBI single by Miguel Rojas to center field to tie the game at five, despite Rojas having been down at 1.12. And then Finnegan in the bottom of the eighth off the Nats, having just taken an 8-5 lead. So you're in a good mood. You're happy. You're saying to yourself, okay, the Nats should be able to coast the rest of the way. What happens? First pitch leadoff homer by Mookie Betts on a bomb to center field to cut the Nats' lead to 8-6, 412 feet for StatCast. And then Davey Martinez went to Hunter Harvey. And Harvey, to his credit, was outstanding. A six-out save. Harvey in that bottom of the eighth Phase four batters got three outs, including back-to-back swinging strikeouts of the Dodgers numbers three and four batters, Will Smith and J.D. Martinez. And then Harvey, a perfect bottom of the ninth. You see, now we know why Davey was resting Hunter Harvey. Davey anticipated needing the guy for a six-out save in a spot like this. Boy, a bumpy ride, but ultimately, I guess you say a successful ride with this Nats bullpen. So coming into the day, I'm thinking to myself, okay, he didn't use anybody on Sunday in a game that we talked about, could have gone either way. He didn't use anybody Monday or Tuesday. Those games really weren't there for the taking, although I was arguing the other night that maybe you could have gone to Hunter Harvey when they were down a run instead of waiting to see if they had tied it or not. So they're all fresh. So he's going to have to go to them in this game no matter what. And he made that determination when he pulled Corbin after five. And I'm thinking, okay, you got to get 12 outs out of these three guys now. Can you do it? Well, because Edwards and Finnegan were so inefficient, Edwards got the job done, as you outlined, but he couldn't come back for another inning after 22 pitches. Finnegan was a mess in this game. That clock violation cannot happen in that situation. It's actually the first Nationals pitcher to have a ball four via clock violation this season or ever, since this has never been the case before. As a team, I looked this up, they've been pretty good. They entered the day seventh in the majors in fewest violations, both by hitters and batters. So it hasn't really cost them that much this year. That one was set up to cost them in a big way. And then even worse, 
He follows that by allowing an uncontested stolen base, one of six stolen bases the Nationals allowed in this game. You had Freddie Freeman running wild on them. You cannot let that happen. That's on the pitchers. That's not on Cabert Ruiz. Davey Martinez was not happy about it afterwards, talking about the need for these guys to do a better job of adjusting their timing, holding the runners, keeping them far less comfortable than they are. So you do all that. Then you give up the single that gives up the run. Another stolen base, by the way, for Finnegan. And then the home run by Betts to start the eighth. So now he has no choice but to bring in Hunter Harvey. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, does he have six outs in him today? He better be pretty efficient if he's going to do it. He ends the eighth inning. I think he was at 19 pitches at that point. He's going to come back for the ninth. And I don't know if they showed it on TV or not, but Chad Cool was warming in the bullpen in case Harvey couldn't do it. Davey said afterwards there was a hard cap of 35 pitches on Hunter Harvey. He wound up throwing 34. That was going to be his last batter no matter what. They were one batter away from Chad Cool trying to close out the game. So it worked. They got it done. They've got a day off Thursday. They can all rest up and they should all be fine come Friday. But boy, that felt like such a chore to get through those final four innings with this bullpen. It's unfortunate this is what it's come to that you should feel a lot more confident in their ability. The Ruiz homer made it 10 to 6. That left me finally feeling comfortable. At 10 to 8, I was still not feeling comfortable about their ability to close that game out. The bullpen isn't good. And, you know, like we keep saying it, but we keep having reason to say it. And beyond Hunter Harvey right now, you don't feel good about anyone. And, you know, with Kyle Finnegan, the more we see of him, and and I know these relievers are year to year, but if you remember with Finnegan, he was not the closer. Tanner Rainey was the closer. Rainey got hurt. Finnegan got put in that role. You know, we've talked about Alex Cole being put in a spot for which he's not accustomed and for which he probably is not suited being, you know, an everyday center fielder. I wonder if we're seeing that with Finnegan. Like, he just isn't like a true ace reliever or a closer and that. While he has things going for him, and it's not to say that he can't be a productive reliever, you know, he may be overslotted in being a number one or a number two guy in a bullpen. Like we saw this last season, we're seeing it now this season. He's very up and down. When he's off, he's really off. And it's feeling more and more like in a good bullpen, Kyle Finnegan is maybe a middle innings guy, not, you know, an eighth or ninth inning guy. And when we talk about, you know, Harvey and Finnegan and Finnegan and Harvey, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing that anymore. It's been tough with Finnegan. I mean, the numbers for him this season are, you know, difficult to digest. I mean, his whip is at 164. The ERA is right around five. And just watching him, like, you never feel great when he's in there. With Harvey, I think this is fascinating. So Hunter Harvey came into this season in his career having had a total of 63 innings pitched. He's now up to 26 and the third innings. The injury history, as we all know, is like a mile long. I think it is like so delicate with him. And you just don't know, like, is his body going to give up, give out at some point here? Is the arm going to go? Is the shoulder going to go? Is the elbow going to go? Like, is something going to happen? I sure hope not. But we're almost already in like uncharted, unexplored territory with Hunter Harvey because his career has been so impacted by injury that his work at the major league level really has been limited. And so, you know, as we continue on here, if he continues to pitch come like July, August, he is going to be at an innings total potentially that is higher than his career innings total coming into this season. You know, maybe not by July, but if it's 63 innings coming into this season, by the time you get to September, he could be at a level surpassing his career innings total coming into this season. I mean, I'd love to know in the history of baseball how many guys have had a season like that. So it really is a land of unknown with Hunter Harvey right now, how long his body can hold up doing this. 
sure. And it's all valid. I think he would try to tell you that he has made some real strides physically in the last two years to adjust his mechanics, to do some other things to allow himself to stay healthy. Now, the proof's in the pudding. We got to see him get through an entire season healthy before you can declare anything. But he has not once suggested that anything hasn't felt right. He's taken the days off when he's needed to. And I believe, and I know last year he had the uh, the flexor strain, I think it was. But mostly when he was with the Orioles, I feel like it was a lot of fluky things and not necessarily his arm that went bad on him or some other stuff that he dealt with along the way. So some of that maybe is some bad luck. He really, really, really wants to show that he can be a durable big league reliever. He's put a lot of work into it. He takes a lot of pride in his ability now to take the ball. Just the idea of Hunter Harvey not just pitching the eighth and the ninth inning for a save in a big league game, but going 34 pitches to do that. Think about how crazy that would have sounded just a year ago. And now we're at a point where that's becoming a little bit commonplace for him. Now, maybe that's just asking for trouble on the injury front, but so far everything has gone fine, knock on wood. And I think he feels like, I will say this, I think he doesn't think about it anymore. I think he used to worry about, well, if I do this, I might be in trouble injury-wise. I don't think he worries that much anymore about how he's doing physically because he's done it enough now and, and bounced back enough on back-to-back days and multiple innings and all that stuff to make him believe that he's figured something out to keep himself healthy. I'm happy for him. I hope that continues to be the case. He certainly should not be fixated on the injury history. Here, though, are the Hunter Harvey injuries real quick. Right elbow strain, Tommy John surgery, right elbow discomfort, right shoulder issue, right bicep soreness, left oblique injury, right lat strain, right tricep strain. That's some arm injuries. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a lot with this guy and I hope he continues to kill it. I really do. But man, you just don't know. I mean, he doesn't know. The team doesn't know. And always keep this in mind with as much as we don't know about pitcher injuries, the number one predictor of pitcher injury is past pitcher injury. So if a guy has been hurt, he's almost always certain to be hurt in the future. Maybe Harvey's an exception. Again, I hope that he is. But um, it's fascinating to watch. But a great job by him. And where would this bullpen be without him? You know, you you think about that. What would we be talking about if Harvey wasn't in this Nats bullpen? Yeah, what you were saying earlier about Finnegan and Harvey kind of both being the one and two. I think very quietly, Hunter Harvey has become the guy that Davey Martinez trusts. When it's appropriate, that means he's getting the save. But at times, he's going to him earlier to get out of a jam against the heart of the other team's lineup. I think we have now seen over a few weeks, he wants Harvey matched up against the other team's best hitters, no matter what inning that is. That to me says that Hunter Harvey really is the quote unquote ace of the bullpen right now ahead of Finnegan on the depth chart. And he has earned it and uh, a salute to Hunter Harvey for that. So Nats get a uh, much-deserved off day on Thursday and then comes a three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Imagine that, a series against the National League East team for the Nats. This weekend at Nationals Park, Friday through Sunday, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, and Trevor Williams will be the Nats' starting pitchers. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a new website. Check that out too, NatsChatPodcast. Dot com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. 
We do continue to welcome your tales of October 2019. So if you'd like to submit your favorite moment from October 2019, your favorite experience in watching the Nats win the World Series in 2019, you can record yourself in your smartphone and then email us that file and we'll play what you have to say at the end of an installment of this podcast. Again, that uh, email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. However, on this installment of the pod, we're going to leave you with Tim Shover's conversation with the voice of the AA Harrisburg Senators, Terry Byram. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Leonard Davis with his third hit, and here is Bryce Harper, who nearly missed a home run his last time up. Left-handed batter, so now a decision for Tony Beasley. If you send Leonard Davis and Harper strikes out, you could have the ball game end. Three and two. He goes. The pitch. Swung on and hit high in there. And this is it deep to center. Coming back. That ball's gone. Home run. Bryce Harper over the batter's high in center field. It's a walk-off. His first home run in Harrisburg. He throws the helmet away. He bobbed it home. Pleased to be joined by the voice of the Harrisburg Senators, the Double A affiliate for the Washington Nationals, Terry Byram. You've heard Terry before give updates for us here on the Nats Chat Podcast. I'm in person with Terry as we're watching batting practice here at Prince George's Stadium for the Bowie Bay Sox. They're going to host the Harrisburg Senators. So it's uh, if you're in the DMV and you're a Nats fan and you want to check out the Double A team, this is the best chance yet as they're playing in PG County this week. Terry, thank you very much for joining us. Before we get into the team, and there's been a lot of news with Harrisburg recently, I uh, want you to give the listeners a backstory of how you landed in this position and how long you've been the voice of the Harrisburg Senators. Well, I think landing in the position was sort of luck. I found out about the opening through a mutual friend. And once I found out about it, applied, had an interview, and we went from there a long time ago. So my first season was 2005, which was the first season the Nationals were in Washington. I went to that first exhibition game in Washington at RFK. So I've been fortunate in all of these years to uh, just every player, I think every player that has gone through the Nationals organization that's made it to the big leagues has come through Harrisburg one time or another. So that's made it a lot of fun to watch uh, the Nationals kind of rise, be at the peak, and now they're on the rise again. And uh, I think that's fun. Terry and Mark, both with the organization since 2005, in one way or another. If you are a diehard Nationals radio listener, you've heard Terry before. I remember a summer game in 2018 hearing you when the Nats were taking on the Braves. How many games have you called for the Big League Club on the radio? Just those four games that weekend that I filled in for Dave Jagler in Atlanta. And it was fun. I mean, what can I say? That's what we all try to, the players and the broadcasters, we'd all like to get to the big leagues. Let's get to the team here. Big news this week with James Wood getting promoted from Wilmington to Harrisburg. Very, very, very small sample size uh, so far. He is playing here today, starting for the Senators. What have you noticed so far? What have you heard? Give us your James Wood scouting report best you can. Well, I don't think I have much of a scouting report yet. I've had a chance to talk to him a little bit. He seems like a pretty quiet young man. Makes things look easy through two games, and he only has one hit. Uh, I don't really base it on that. Just the way he moves in the outfield and just the way he carries himself and moves in general. And at only 20 years old, I'm excited to see where things go with him. I think the Nationals 
think that trade's going to work out well for the Nationals. And I certainly think James Wood is on his way to being what everybody thought. Sounds like it took him a little while to get used to being in Wilmington. And once he was used to the high A stuff, he'd killed it earlier this month. So I'm really expecting after a little adjustment period, which is what happens with most players when they go from A to double A, then kind of see where they're really at. Robert Hassel, the third other big name. Now, he hasn't been here very long either. He was in the Fred Nats for a while with a rehab assignment, but a little bit more of a sample size. What have your impressions been so far of Robert Hassel, the third? Well, first, what you don't hear about him at all is he is a tremendous outfielder. He plays center field really well, and he gets to uh, Harrisburg has a big outfield. We're 405 to left and right center and 400 to straightaway center, and he tracks down almost everything hit in the air there. He throws well, and so in my view, he is, uh, or in my opinion, I guess, he's a plus outfielder with a plus arm, so that makes him exciting in that way. He runs well, and then at the plate this year, he has made some big strides over when he arrived here last year. He's hitting the ball. He's in a little slump right now over the last two or three games, which happens the ebbs and flows of a season, but overall, he's hitting the ball a lot harder, a lot more contact. And uh, the longer he's here in double A, the better I think he'll be. Talk about Wood and Hassel. Those are the guys getting the big news so far for this club. Give me a name or two that Nats fans should keep their eye on as well, other than those two guys. Well, I really like Lionel Valera. He was in spring training, I think, with the Nationals to the very end of big league spring training camp. He's a guy that had been in the Dodgers organization, left the Dodgers after last year as a free agent. Nationals signed him. He's a shortstop. I'm not comparing him to this player, but the body he has and the way he moves is quite similar to when Alex Rodriguez was young. Again, I'm not comparing him to Alex Rodriguez, just his body and the way he moves. He's a bigger guy. He runs well. He probably has a half a dozen to 10 infield hits already this season. He's on a 12-game hitting streak. Seems to be settling into the Nats organization. Uh, well, he played in double A last year with the Dodgers, and I don't know what he will be in the big leagues. The Nationals have C.J. Abrams, who's doing well. So I'm not sure what the plan is for Leno Valera, but he is a guy that, that I really like. Another guy is Jose Sanchez. He's a young guy at third base. His numbers don't look good right now, and I think he's struggling to adapt to double A at times. The pitchers are pretty good here, but he's young. He has an really good body. He hits the ball really hard. And I think he has, he's an under the radar guy that I think has a shot. Who's the ace of the staff, if you will? Yeah, I'd say right now that's Jackson Rutledge. I think he is, uh, he's pitching the best right now. Mitchell Parker over his last, I think four or five starts, he looks good as well. And I think both those guys are on a good path. Most certainly Michael Cuevas, who pitched here last night, he's young. He'll turn 22 in June is another guy. He is a pitch-to-contact guy more than he is strike you out. But I think all three of those guys, with Jackson being the ace of the staff, I think all three of those guys have bright futures. Let's sell some tickets here. I have never been to a game at Harrisburg, but I've seen the stadium. I drove up once just a few hours from the Maryland suburbs. If you live by the I-270, really unique and cool ballpark in City Island and Harrisburg itself has a lot of things to check out. So why don't you tell Nationals fans who are within driving distance to Harrisburg, why they should come and what to expect from your really special ballpark that is in the capital of Pennsylvania. So aside from the baseball park, we're on an island. And on the island, if you bring kids... There's a steam train that goes around the island, uh, which is pretty cool. There's a mini golf course on the island, and they have uh, some stuff for sale at 
if you're going to spend the day there, ice cream and sandwiches. And then you come to the ballpark and our ballpark is uh, really fan friendly. All of the seats are close to the field, which makes it fun, easy to interact with the players. I think it's a great way to spend an evening and being on the island makes it, it's just as unique because like sitting here at Prince George's Stadium, there's nothing wrong with the ballpark, but it doesn't feel nearly as alive as an afternoon uh, on City Island at FNB Field. No matter what time of the day you're there, because people walk across, there's a walking bridge from downtown Harrisburg and people are constantly doing exercise, walking around the island and there's just so much activity on the island that it makes it unique and different in that even when you're in the ballpark, you can really feel the vibe of being out and about on the island. So it just makes it a kind of a fun trip if you're coming in from out of town. Well, final thing here, Terry, thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can hear you on the actual radio and also streaming online? How can they listen to your broadcast? I think we go all the way down to the Pennsylvania border on uh, 96.5 FM and 95.3 FM, 1400 AM, or online through our website at senatorsbaseball.com. Hey, listeners, as if we didn't have enough for you on this episode, one more thing before we go. On Friday, the NCAA baseball tournament begins. Maryland is back in it, and they are trying to make it to Omaha in the College World Series for the first time. Here is the voice of the Maryland Terrapins baseball team, Matt Noble. The Maryland baseball team returns to the NCAA baseball tournament for the third straight season and ninth time in school history when it plays in the Wake Forest Regional in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, beginning Friday. The 41-19 Terrapins have been an offensive juggernaut all season, with eight players having 10 or more home runs and five starters batting over 300. The offense is led by All-American shortstop and Big Ten Player of the Year Matt Shaw, who's batting 347 with 23 homers and 67 RBIs. Third baseman Nick LaRusso, the Big Ten tournament most outstanding player, leads the Big Ten with a whopping 99 RBIs and 23 homers. The Terps also have smashed 11 grand slams in their 60 games. Maryland won the Big Ten regular season title for the second straight season, as well as the Big Ten tournament, which was the first conference tournament title in school history. They will open a regional play against the tough Northeastern squad that gained an at-large bid after finishing 44-14, and including a win at Maryland on May 9th. Ivan Cabral should get the call Friday afternoon for the Huskies. He sports a 5-3 and mark with a 2.68 ERA. Maryland looks to start Nick Dean, who went 3-1 and with 73 strikeouts and 14 starts. Should the Terps win on Friday, they will most likely see the Demon Deacons on Saturday evening, the nation's number one team and the top seed in the tournament. Wake will probably save number one pitcher Rhett Lauder, who is 13-0 with a 1.69 ERA for the Saturday game. Maryland should counter with Jason Savakul, who is 8-5 with 88 strikeouts and 15 starts. The Terps ended Wake Forest season last year when they knocked the Demon Deacons out of the College Park Regional. The fourth team in the region is George Mason, who won its conference tournament to make it to the NCAAs with a 34-25 record. Wake also has plenty of D.C. area connections. Head coach Tom Walter is a former George Washington head coach. Pitching coach Corey Muscara left Maryland to become the pitching coach at Wake, and assistant coach Bill Salento went to Montgomery County's Sherwood High School. Play begins on Friday with Maryland playing Northeastern at 1 o'clock and Wake hosting George Mason at 7 o'clock. Action continues on Saturday and Sunday and Monday if necessary in the double elimination regional. Games can be seen on ESPN Plus and information about the regional can be found on the One Maryland app at umterps.com. 
with the Maryland baseball team. I'm Matt Noble. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.